0: Welcome to another episode of the Marketing and Cupcakes podcast. I got a special treat for you. I got a huge announcement. I got a bomb to drop. Isn't, I'm not even doing an intro today. I'm going to just jump right in. We have, you, you hear me talk about this guy every time I talk about marketing and well learned marketing. I, I let you guys know he's one of my, my mentors, someone I read about as a kid that actually taught me marketing, taught me so much. I got the legendary, the king of radio ads, John Sortino, as my co-host on the Marketing in the Cupcakes podcast. I told John what I had going on. I said, John, I want you on, like, back in the day. Good old days when we did podcasts together. I need you back. And John said, Mike, whatever you need, I'm in. So this episode today, we're just going to be talking about John so you get to know him. Moving forward, John's going to be on with me. We're going to discuss marketing topics. I And I just need you guys to know, like, how much of a blessing this is because I don't just look him up. John Sortino, look at the amazing things he did with Vermont Teddy Bear, the Vermont Teddy Bear Company and all the other amazing companies that he created. Like John is a true mastermind when it comes to marketing. I, I John, I always tell him how you said to me a couple of years ago, Mike, you're good at marketing. But the difference between me and you is I, I've spent so much more on marketing than you ever know. And I've made so many more, more mistakes in marketing than you could ever know. So that's why I know more about marketing than you. I, I that always stick with me. So many other things, but John, thank you so much for being here. I just want to introduce you. I love being here, Mark. It's good to be together with you again. The the Dudley the Dudley brothers are back. <laughs> we used to have so much fun. <laughs> I agree. We surely did. So, John, I'm, I just want to jump in and just. Give a little bit a little bit of your backstory, let people know a little bit about you and and who you are, and then we could just jump into just talking uh, about marketing real quick, and then we'll like I said, moving forward in other episodes, we'll just tackle topics. So tell us a little bit about yourself, John
1: um first, I'm a firm believer in uh uh three things in life, and that is uh friends and family something religious or spiritual in your business life. So just speaking about business life, um, there's nothing better than being an entrepreneur. You don't need a license. You don't need to go to school. And I learned that back in 1980 when I just said, you know, I went to school and I, you know, I graduated with a bachelor's degree and, you know, I've it. I had my first kid. And um, I realized I was never going to make as much money as everyone else made who went to better schools I went to. So I said, I'd better get out and start my own business. So my brilliant idea was, which was not brilliant at all, was to build a teddy bear cart. It wasn't brilliant. Um, And to make teddy bears and sell them on the streets of Burlington, Vermont. Uh, The very first cart I made, I got kicked off the street because... People said was it wasn't going to be able to handle any kind of weather because so they used copper posts. Yep, yep. I rebuilt it and um, it was a really cute cart. I could fit it in the back. I could take it apart completely and fit it in my van and roll it out because I couldn't afford a parking. You know, a lot of other people with carts and, you know, peddler carts had a place to put their cart new and they would pay a certain amount of money a month. I put mine in the back of my van and every morning I would get up. Um, before the streets of Burlington woke up, you know, kind of like go out there at you know, eight thirty nine o'clock and start building my cart, which didn't take long, and selling teddy bears. And what I learned after five years of selling teddy bears on the street is that people just don't buy teddy bears. It's not like the biggest market. You know, they buy other things. They buy clothes. They buy, you know, everything else in the world. But teddy bears are not a big seller. Yep. So I decided um that now keep in mind my second my I have two kids now, and um but every day I went to work and it's very cold in Burlington in the winter time and uh you know it gets dark there early and you know and you try to set the lights up and I thought Christmas time I would do great and it did it, it never it never never ever happened and so I said I need to you know get on an airplane and start if you're if you are um selling a product, there are um there are centers throughout the United States that you can go and find a representative to sell your product. There's one in Boston, New York, two in New York, um, you know, Chicago, you know, LA, San so just they're all over the place. And so I got on a plane and back in the day I bought um an unlimited miles, like I go as as many places as I wanted to in 30 days. So I lived on an airplane and I set up a, a representative market and uh, throughout the United States. And I still only can get my teddy bear sales up to um, $400,000 a year. So it was really not going anywhere. Uh, one day in December, my board says to me, uh, you know, I was selling bears, the one thing i was doing is like at valentines day i was selling bear grams on a local radio station and um it really did quite well people would call me you know call me up and i would you know make the bears really nice in a nice bag and you know um we dressed them up and put a really nice message like i love you hug this bear think of me when i'm not around sleep with this bear when i'm not home you know that kind of stuff there's a lot of good messages you can give with bears and um, I, I did kind of well on Valentine's Day, but for the rest of the year, I tried the wholesale and it never worked. And a, a board member said to me, you know, John, everything else you're doing is stealing, but there's one thing you're doing is selling teddy bear grams. Why don't we give you 50 grand? And if you don't make this work, I'm going to shut the company down. And um, I said, okay, I'll take the 50. And I put it on a radio station, two radio stations in New York. The same kind of radio station that was exactly the same as the Burlington, Vermont radio station, which were top 40 stations. Uh, One was uh, 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 Z100, which at the time was the largest radio station in New York. It's still huge. So when you advertise on a radio station, you could pick the time of day, you know, you could pick morning, middays, afternoon. And so what I knew, what I said to you, I knew more about radio, you know advertising on radio, I knew more about spending my money on the time of day when most people were willing to listen to my commercials, which was the morning. Like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, people are going home and they're thinking about what they're going to do. They're thinking, you know, a lot of people, um, in my case, I'd be buying a beer and just going, I want to go and like it pays over, you know. But in the morning it was like my ads were you know, if you got a birthday coming up, give us a call. We'll take care of everything, and we'll help you with the message. You know, on a Valentine's Day, I, I did a killer business, so my business went from four hundred thousand to my first year at one point seven million, my second year at five point five million, my third year at ten point five million, etc. Up to twenty million dollars in like four years, and I was on Ink Magazine' fastest growing list of eighty eighth, fifty fifth, and fiftieth, and uh, I was named the best company in America by Thunder Bradstreet, uh, the National Foundation of Independent Business People, which is a large conservative business organization that lobbies for small business in Washington, D.C. And I was a complete, you know, liberal, uh, uh, business owner. And, um, uh, uh, and also, uh, Cooper and Lebrand which is like a large, at the time, there were, uh, six of the largest uh, accounting firms in the country were called the top six. I think they're top five now. And um, it came with, you know, like a black tie affair and one twenty-five grand, a big trophy. And uh, they named me out of all 600, other 50,000 businesses throughout the United States and the best company in America. And the reason why we're the best company in America is a lot of reasons. I pay, The people that I work with got paid really well um, I didn't take a lot of money out of the company. Um, I didn't have a time clock. You know, did you ever do a
0: time clock, Mike, when you had a punch in, a punch out? No, I didn't, and I didn't. I don't do it just because of what you're about to say right now. You taught me this. What you're about to say is why I don't do do that.
1: Yeah. Um, well, if you ever were around a time clock or any kind of time clocks, I don't care what they are, electronic, or whatever they might be, when a person checks in, they're checking in right and it's a mental thing that goes off in your brain and i was a member of five unions and like every time somebody would punch the time clock they would use the f word and every time they punched out they'd use the f word and um so in my company i said just keep track of your own time uh they're mostly women i said if you need to go to pta meetings or whatever you need to do just go you don't need to ask you know Take care of your business. Work whenever hours you need to. I just need to make a certain amount of bears a week. You know, make up the difference. Figure it out. And they all did. So managing time was not at all. I eliminated that completely. Um, everyone managed their own time, and um, that was one reason I paid the people that I was working with. This is back in the nineties. But probably the lowest paid person was probably you know a part time person making about thirty. But most of my sewers and everybody were making about forty five thousand, my people on the phone were making about forty five. and that's a lot of money uh, even you know uh even today. was a lot of money back then. Yeah so I watched everyone that I worked with we I watched them buy better cars and better clothes. It was really just kind of like a real trip and building a, a great company. It was more fun almost doing that than increasing the sales but i really believe that the more i spent in advertising the more uh money i would make because i worked out a formula and every business has a formula like um, and you need to get to this formula you need in the I, I break it down in the basics and the formula is um cost of goods sold or services which is a dollar amount uh, marketing and sales, which is a dollar amount, administrative costs, which is like you know, legal and accounting and all that stuff, which is a dollar amount, uh, plus or minus sales will leave the profit at the end. And so I worked with numbers that were twenty five percent marketing, thirteen uh, percent sales. Thirty-nine percent cost of goods sold, and I kept my administrative costs at eleven percent. So I, I built a business model that was amazingly a cash cow, and the basis of the business model was that I didn't make a bear unless I sold a bear, and I could make a bear within a few hours. So, um, and every so I didn't have a, a huge inventory. A lot of companies, you know, they immediately go let's pretend you're selling blankets. You go, well, I can buy a blanket from, you know, India and you know, and sell it for five times as much. Then you gotta buy the blankets from India and then you gotta store them. Then you gotta try to sell them. So I didn't have to do that. As an American made business, American business manufacturer, I I didn't have to make a bear until I sold the bear. That's awesome. And um,
0: that's really smart.
1: Yeah, it um so I recognized that I was doing a business model that really very few people understand and I learned the business model by following uh what other American manufacturers did before me so I kind of like you know researched them and they pointed out the advantages of being an American manufacturer. Now I know you live in Springfield and Springfield used to be a big manufacturing area. Um the whole valley used to be a big manufacturing area and I believe a lot of people um, up and down the North and South. Um, there were a lot of, you know, old engineers and a lot of manufacturing people that did a lot of things in that area all the way up through Vermont and all the way down to Connecticut. And um, the the niche for American manufacturing exists today, and I don't care what you're making. It could be, you know, any literally anything. You could be, you know, putting steel, to, you know, Putting aluminum together or making something or making something. And a lot of people think when they're doing a business, I've got to come up with this really cool idea. And the idea is going to sell. And a lot of times that's the wrong way to approach a new business. Anyways, I took the company public. And I ran it up to one hundred twenty, about $120 million worth of value, which was really fun. Um, I took a, a cart that was doing no business. To uh, Wall Street, which um, was a very successful. It was really crazy, um, but I continued to do my advertising. Like you know, I knew I was in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, DC, New York, Philadelphia, Boston. You know, I tried the southeast part of the United States, but I don't know if you know this, Mike, but the Southerners don't really like the Northerners. <laughs> they don't. All right. So the name of company was the Vermont Teddy Bear Company. Most people from the South don't even know where Vermont is. Got it. So in my commercial, I used to say Vermont's in between New York and New Hampshire. You know, it's just to let people kind of know where we were. But it's the second least populated state in the country outside of Wyoming. And uh, I couldn't get anyone in Miami or Atlanta or Dallas or any of those places to buy my teddy bears until I started advertising, until I took I read, I, I, I sponsored a NASCAR car and I found myself at Daytona and, uh, watch, watching cars go around really fast, you know? And I owned, I owned all of the, the marketing on the outside of this car. It was called the teddy bear car, you know? And everyone else was like selling, you know, cigarettes or gas or oil or auto parts or something like that. Um, I raced against Kodak, I raced, I raced against Slim Jam and all these other companies, and um, I wasn't like a poly- like I had a big teddy bear on the front hood of my car, and so I became kind of popular uh, in the NASCAR circuit, even though we never finished like a buck twentieth. <laughs> whatever I, re- I realized that the only time my car was on TV is when another car passed it, which happened the, the whole time so I was the first person to put an 800 number on the back of my car. Now they put, you know, like dot coms and things out like that. But back in the day that no one was doing that because my phone would ring, you know, like when Dale Unharrop would pass my car, right? those other people would pass the car. They go, they're passing the teddy bear car and there would be my 800 number. And then people would call in order teddy bear. So it was really funny. So oh. it's really funny about how marketing works, you know, and yeah. just got to, Keep playing with it until it makes sense, but you have to justify it for how much money you're spending and how much it's bringing in return, and keep it within that formula. So i, I I've always believed in that. And recently, uh, recently, I've been on a school board locally here for about I don't know eight years, and um, uh, and we were losing students. And we were the cheapest um, tuition, and we were like one of the best schools. It was a Catholic school. I go to church every Sunday, which is part of the schedule thing. Whatever you do, it's like a tr- I think it's really. I don't care what religion somebody is. I think it's just important to have that. In. But um, we were losing kids, and I kept pushing to increase the tuition because I'm not bragging about this. But where I ended up in Cambridge is in the Harvard section. It's really kind of a rich neighborhood. And the people that send their schools kids in St. Peter's can afford a lot more tuition and so finally we got the tuition increase and now we can pay our teachers a little bit more money um so again it's another business model, but it's like kind of you know I was the only guy in like the the board that comes let's just raise the tuition let's raise the tuition." they all go, well, what about if people you know didn't want to pay it I go we'll give them a, a you know we'll give them a, a a grant or something we'll give them a scholarship." If they can't afford it, we don't wipe them out. But, you know, 80% of our students' parents, like, are very, very wealthy, you know, and they can afford three times as much. And we're right next to Brown and Nichols and Bingham School, which charges us about forty-five to $60,000 a year for middle school and elementary school. I don't know what they charge for high school, but our school was charging $6,000. we are right next to it. And we're offering all the same stuff. Makes sense. So... uh I, I like this board and recently I started a, a bicycle company called the Boston Bike Company and um, uh, again, I I looked at the market for bicycles and the market for bicycles is growing like tenfold all, all across the United States. I'm sure in Springfield they're building a lot of bike legs. Is that true?
0: Yeah, no know. In, in, in some of the surrounding areas, we, we're starting to see it. But yes, it's, 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 it's starting to become a thing.
1: Yeah, because um governments want cars off the road because cars damage roads and if people are riding bicycles, it's just better for the government. It's better for you know, I've got two grandkids now. Um, it's better for the children, you know, to so bicycle making is a green business. So uh that's what I'm doing and I just started it and uh, I often kick myself for starting another business because like all entrepreneurs, you know. It's, it, I'm absolutely convinced that it's not a risky thing to do, but I I forget about how, how many things you have to know. And when you're doing something by yourself, there's a lot of things that you have to know and do by yourself. You know, um, but, at the, but at the teddy bear company, because I had so many employees, I literally didn't have to do a lot of that stuff after a while. I had people that were really good at it. So I encourage everybody that listens to this thing to uh, make their company successful and surround themselves with uh, people that know how to do something that they don't like to. Like a lot of times, people who start a business goes, "Well, I'll you know just sign up for you know bookkeeping and I'll keep my own books." And I think bookkeeping is the worst thing an entrepreneur could do. Reading financials is the best thing an entrepreneur could do, but the actual bookkeeping is. Uh, it's it's a whole science in itself and it's a lot of work and um, it drains a lot from the creativity of starting a business
0: yeah uh so makes sense john john you i, I don't know we you just dropped so many cupcakes so many gems and what you just said like I, I've I've heard this story and we we talk about a lot of this stuff. And every time you say it, like I learn I learn something new. So I know I know the audience today um, learned a lot. Uh, we I'm looking forward to to doing uh, more frequent uh, episodes. With you and we'll we'll uh, dig deeper into more of these topics. I just wanted to you did it. You what I I was speechless this whole time. You did what I we, we wanted you to do today. Just introduce yourself. Like I said. Well, we're going to start having, we're going to see if we can get John to come down to a couple of marketing and a cupcakes events. Like I was just thinking as you're talking about financials, I, I sometimes I forget where I learned this stuff, John. Like you taught me a lot about reading the financial statements and how to do that. And I just remember back when I was stinky cakes, Mike, and you just even breaking down cards and breaking all the formulas and all that stuff. So I, I think we're going to end up having like in-person events where, where people could come and then you could break this all down for them. Even something, some, some, even something along the lines of... um how to read a financial statement and just things like that, because the premise of marketing and cupcakes, John is we make, um, learning marketing and business simple. So anyone could do it. So anyone can learn how to do it. And, and, is, and you, you, all, you, uh, 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 are a big reason why I approach business that way, because a lot of the stuff I didn't know, even when I ran my first set of radio ads for stinky Cakes. like I always tell that story, how I came out to meet you and, and, and um, in like fifteen minutes you taught me radio. I was like mind blowing. And then for the other forty five minutes we just talked about business. But one of those things that you taught me then was 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 that, you know, this 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 whole stuff is not complicated. There's a lot of common sense. So and and then two, before I came out to meet you, I I got your book off of um Amazon, the complete idiot idiots guide to running a successful business. I think this is a thick book and I think I finished that book in like three days. I could not put it down. But like all, all of that stuff that, that, that you do, I think, and I will, man, you are my Mount Rushmore of entrepreneurs. You, Mike Kittridge, David Klein, Wally Amos, and the Ben and Jerry guys. Mike, you're my Mount Rushmore of business. Huh? You are. You're my Mount Rushmore of business. Look at you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So I'm looking forward to I've So with right. that, I'm a, I'm gonna wrap up the episode. Thank you so much. Time is the most valuable commodity. Thank you so much for um, reaching out. I mean, listen, listening listening to this episode and spending some time with us. John and I will be back next week and we'll drop you a new episode once a week moving forward. So until the next one, have a great day. Peace.